This morning we'll be reading from Psalm 103. We're reading all of Psalm 103. Again, it's another reflection on who God is and what He's been doing for us. It's going to be very important as we look at the book of Jonah as we see Jonah's own prayer of thanksgiving. So let's look together at Psalm 103 now of David. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known His ways to Moses, His acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass, he flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments." The Lord has established His throne in the heavens, and His kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you His angels, you mighty ones who do His word, obeying the voice of His word. Bless the Lord, all His hosts, His ministers who do His will. Bless the Lord, all His works, in all places of His dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Let's ask for God's blessing on His word together. Lord, these words that we're about to read and hear are your words. These are the words that have power. You've told us that the gospel has the power of salvation, that your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And Lord, that this is true because it is your word and is applied by your spirit into our lives. We pray that you would soften our hearts so that we want to hear from you and that you will be at, we also pray that you will be at work in us to give us greater faith, to give us greater obedience, to give us greater understanding of who you are and how much you have done for us. We pray that you would do this because of our Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen. This morning our sermon comes from Jonah chapter 2. That's Jonah chapter 2. So you open up to Jonah, remember that we started the book of Jonah together last week. As we looked at Jonah 1, we saw God graciously and powerfully bringing salvation. And he brought salvation for those pagan sailors, those great sinners, but God also brought salvation for a man like Jonah, a prophet who should have known better. God graciously and powerfully brought salvation. 
We saw the gospel so clearly last week that God sent his own son, Jesus Christ, for our salvation. That's what both Jonah and the sailors experienced. As we go forward in Jonah now to look at Jonah chapter 2, we're going to see how Jonah responds to God's great salvation. Let's look together now at Jonah chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my light from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. So we look at this passage together. What we see is that God continues to teach his sinful children about his saving grace. See in the life of Jonah, and we'll see it in our own lives as well, that God continues to teach his sinful children about his saving grace. We're going to look at three things together. We're going to see first that Jonah responds to God's grace in verses 1 through 10. Then we're going to see how Jesus provides God's grace. And third and finally, we're going to see that we experience God's grace as well. Start with Jonah. Jonah Jonah responds to God's grace in verses 1 through 10. This this whole chapter is Jonah's response to God's grace in saving him from death. Look back at chapter 1, verse 17. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. In that one verse, we have just the bare facts, the facts about how God saved Jonah. And those, those are amazing facts, right? You can see God's sovereign control. It's very clear in how he saved Jonah. But we're waiting to hear from Jonah now. How is Jonah going to respond to God's grace? So far in this book, we've only seen his rebellion. That's basically all we saw in chapter 1. We saw him running away from God, not confessing his sin, and even at the end, almost despairing because all that he saw was God's justice and not God's grace. How is Jonah going to respond? Well, we see Jonah's response in this prayer. It's really a psalm of Jonah. And as we look at these words together, we see a change of heart, a dramatic change of heart in Jonah the first thing we see is that Jonah prays. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. Did you notice that this is the first time in the book that we have heard Jonah pray? That's important 
Because prayer, what happens in prayer is we are seeking the presence of the Lord. Prayer is a central part of our relationship with God. Chapter 1, Jonah has been trying his best to get away from God. He has been running away from the presence of the Lord. That phrase was repeated three times in chapter 1. Now, here, in the belly of the fish, Jonah returns to the Lord. The Lord really has been faithful the whole time to bring Jonah back to himself. And finally, Jonah gets the message and he turns back to God in prayer. As we look at this prayer, you can see it breaks into a couple of sections. Verse 2 is really Jonah giving kind of the summary. I prayed and God answered. Then he gives more details about that deliverance in verses 3 to 7. And then in verses 8 through 9 at the very end, he kind of steps back and he reflects on God's salvation. So we're going to go through the prayer together. And as we do, notice first that Jonah prays, and this is very important, the Lord answers. This is how he starts out. I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you, God, you heard my voice. The Lord graciously answered his sinful prophet. Jonah, as he is praying for God's help, Jonah is sinking into the sea. He has just been thrown off the boat. He is sinking into the sea, and he is there because of his own sin. But he is experiencing much more than just the consequences of his sin. The consequences of our sin are, are great. But Jonah knows that he is actually experiencing the just judgment of God. Jonah recognizes God's role in this situation. Notice verse 3. You cast me into the deep, into the heart of the sea. It wasn't even really the sailors. It was you judging me. You are in control here. But even though Jonah knows that he is justly suffering for his sin, Jonah doesn't give up. He does not give up praying to the Lord. Jonah knows that God will hear him and that God will act. You can see that confidence all the way through Jonah's prayer. Verse 4, look there. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, and here's the confidence, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. Or verse 7, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. There have been other people in a situation like Jonah. You know, many people pray to God when they're in very serious trouble. You may know people who have done this, right? I'm sure you've met people I have as well. Um, They know something about God, and so when they're in a great difficulty, a time of suffering, an accident, whatever it is, that's when they turn to God in prayer. And they are hoping, this is kind of a last-ditch effort, they are hoping that God will hear their prayers and He will act to save them. That's actually not what Jonah is doing here. Jonah prays with confidence that God will answer him. Jonah is confident because he knows who he's praying to. He is praying to the Lord. That's the covenant name of God. He is relying on who God is and the relationship that God has made with Jonah. 
Really, this is a reminder that the foundation of Jonah's prayers is God's character. It's not Jonah. It's not how great Jonah is or how great or how long or how godly his prayers sound. Jonah's prayers rest on God's character. Jonah knows that God is merciful and gracious and abounding in steadfast love, even to people like Jonah who are sinning against God. The Lord will answer. He will forgive and he will save Jonah because he is a faithful God who keeps his promises to his people. We see this kind of confidence in God's character all the way through the Bible. Uh, We sang Psalm 130 earlier. It's a great example of this. And just listen to this psalm and notice how similar this sounds to Jonah's prayer. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. Again, if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Those are the words of another man of God in great difficulty relying on the character and the promises of God. The psalmist in Psalm 130 confidently prays and waits for God's salvation because he knows who God is. He knows that God will answer him. Notice in Psalm 130, it sounds like the psalmist there is waiting for God to answer him. He's had time to think about it. Jonah didn't have that time. Jonah had just a few minutes before he was going to die in the ocean. But he still prayed to God in faith because he knew who God is. Now, as Jonah reflects on what God has done for him, as he reflects on that great salvation, that gracious, powerful salvation, at the very end of this psalm, this prayer to God, he kind of steps back. He steps back and he starts to see the difference between him and everyone else. The difference between true worship, which is what he is going to bring, and false worship. Notice how he ends this psalm. He says, those who pay regard... To vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with a voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Jonah is showing that great difference in humanity as those who are following false idols, whether those are the idols of long time ago, like in in the time of Jonah, or the false gods of today. Jonah says, if you follow those things, if you're looking for help in anything but God, you are forsaking your only hope because only in the Lord is there the steadfast love that you need. But Jonah knows that because he has experienced God's grace, he's felt that love, he has been saved, then he needs to respond rightly. He certainly responded in this prayer and he now promises to respond in worship. The right response to God's grace is true worship. And then Jonah ends with one of the greatest confessions of faith in the Bible. Salvation belongs to the Lord. This is really the key to the entire prayer. Jonah is recognizing in a way he has never recognized before 
that salvation is from the Lord. And when he says these words, salvation belongs to the Lord, he is confessing that the Lord is the Savior. When Jonah says that salvation belongs to the Lord, he's saying that being a saving God is actually who God is. It's central to God's character. But Jonah is also saying that the Lord is the only Savior. Salvation belongs exclusively to God. Listen to what God says about himself in Isaiah 45. He says, And there is no other God beside me, a righteous God and a Savior. There is none beside me. Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. But as Jonah says these words, he's also confessing that the Lord is the sovereign Savior. Salvation belongs to the Lord, so it is his right to choose who he will save. Jonah, I'm sure, may have confessed things like this before, but now he's lived it. Now he has experienced God's free salvation despite all of his sin. Jonah's full response to God's grace is yet to be seen. We'll see it in chapters 3 and 4. We see here a good and faithful prayer. As we do look forward, we're going to see Jonah acting in obedience to finally go to Nineveh and to preach God's message. But if you know how this book ends, you know that Jonah has a whole lot more to learn about God's grace. But Jonah has learned an immense amount already, and that is transforming his life. And that really leads us to our second point to see how Jesus is the one who provides God's grace. You know, Jonah's prayer here is really amazing. It's, it's, it's amazing for at least two reasons. We see what God has done for, for Jonah and saving him from certain death. But we also see what God is doing in Jonah in changing him to be able to even make this prayer. So not just in saving him from death, but in a sense also sanctifying him, driving him back to himself. And we've seen that God is gracious to do these things for Jonah because God is a gracious God. God's character is at the heart of this passage because God's character is at the heart of our salvation. This passage is about the gospel. This passage is about Jesus Christ and the salvation that he brings. Jonah lived many, more, many, many years before Christ. But even he looked forward to the coming Savior because there has only ever been one way of salvation, faith in Jesus Christ. As we look at the life of Jonah and what God has been doing in him, we see Jesus Christ and his benefits on full display. We see God's grace in Jesus Christ in answering Jonah And in saving him, Jonah is never, ever going to be able to atone for his sin of running away. He, as the prophet, ran away from God's presence and from God's plan. He's never going to be good enough to make up for that. He's never going to be able to repent hard enough to make up for that or to try to obey enough to restore the relationship with God. None of that is possible. If God does not act, Jonah is doomed. But God does hear his desperate prayer for help and answers because Jonah is forgiven in Jesus Christ. 
Jesus has paid for Jonah's sin. And now Jonah's relationship with God, thankfully, so thankfully, his relationship with God rests on Christ, not on himself. Jonah has a savior. He has a mediator. And now God will answer him and work for him. But we also, as we look at Jonah's experience and see the person and work of Christ, we also see these so clearly in Jonah's last confession. We just saw salvation belongs to the Lord. And what Jonah understood by faith is revealed more clearly in Jesus Christ because salvation is the Lord's work from beginning to end. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit before creation planned the work of salvation. And in time, the Father sent the Son to live and to die for us. And He raised us for our salvation. And the Father and the Son now send the Holy Spirit to apply Jesus' salvation to you and to me. Our salvation, our salvation depends solely on God. Even our, our faith and our obedience The things that we are supposed to do, these also are gifts of God. We can see that so clearly in the book of Ephesians. But also, we see Jesus on display here as we kind of step back and see how Jonah fits into the whole Bible because we see that Jesus Christ is the greater Jonah. Remember last week, I pointed out that Jesus tells us to look for the sign of Jonah. He says, look, and you will see me in the book of Jonah. Jonah is a type of Christ. He's pointing forward to Christ. Think about what, it, what happened with Jonah, right? Jesus is the prophet who never tried to run away from God's presence and God's plan to save sinners. This is how he's the greater Jonah. He actually did what God wanted him to do. And as part of Jesus' obedience, he paid for Jonah's rebellion. We saw a lot of that in Jonah chapter 1. But here also in Jonah chapter 2, we see Jesus being the greater Jonah. Jesus is the one who was separated from God. That is not what happens to Jonah. Jonah almost died because of his sins. He came very close, but he didn't. But Jesus actually did die. And not because of his sins, but because of Jonah's sins. Jonah almost died gave up hope of being answered in his distress. Almost. Jesus on the cross was not answered by his father. Jonah spent three days and three nights in the whale in the presence of God. Jesus spent three days and three nights in the grave separated from God. In each case, we see that Jesus is the greater Jonah. Jesus is the prophet and the Savior that we and Jonah and all of God's people need. Jonah really shows us, as a picture, the picture of Jesus' work of salvation. He's showing us what Jesus needs to do, and he's also showing us just how much it costs for Jesus to save somebody like Jonah. But it also shows us hope. It shows us the great hope of Jesus' work of salvation because the grave could not hold Jesus. Jesus' resurrection was part of God's plan, just like Jonah's deliverance through the whale was also part of God's plan. 
So we look at Jonah, we need to continue to see that Jesus is the Savior that we need. Jesus is the one who is actually bringing God's grace to us. That leads us to our third and final point, to focus on us, that we experience God's grace. So much of what we see in Jonah's life, we see in our own lives as well. Now, we're not a prophet. We're not uniquely picturing the work and person of Jesus Christ like Jonah did as a type of Christ, but we are believers like Jonah. We share the same Savior, and God in Christ graciously works in our lives in similar ways. Think, for instance, about the confidence of Jonah's prayers. Jonah knows God's promises never to leave or forsake his people, and those promises are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Jonah's prayers come before God in his holy temple because in Jesus Christ, all believers, Jonah and us, have free access to the Father in prayer. We can come to the throne of grace at any time and know that God hears and answers. Look at the end of Hebrews 4 for great confidence there. We see again this week also the truth that our sins as believers cannot separate us from God. This is how we experience God's grace. We certainly experience His discipline, God's discipline for our sin, even severe discipline like Jonah. And that does affect our communion with God, the way we relate to God. But as we look at Jonah, we see this great sinner being restored. As we look at God's work here, we see that at no point was Jonah ever truly separated from God. Jonah was trying to push God away, but God kept a firm hold on Jonah. That's true for us as well. We see that in Romans chapter 8. Paul says that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, Romans 8, Paul is talking about many things. He's talking about our enemies. He's talking about everything in creation. But we can add one more. Even our own sin as believers cannot break the relationship that God has established with us and maintains with us in Jesus Christ. Each one of us continues to experience God's saving grace in our lives. It it may be obvious, but it's, it's well worth pointing out that Jonah experienced God's salvation after his conversion. Sometimes we talk about God saving someone, and we usually mean when God actually changes their heart and brings them to faith. And that's the way the Bible means salvation many times. But what we see in the experience of Jonah is uh, a broader meaning of God's salvation. God's salvation really extends throughout our entire lives because we need God's powerful grace to forgive us our sins and to bring us back from what seems like constant rebellion. Maybe you've had a a very dramatic experience of God's grace, like what we see in the life of Jonah. I certainly can't think of a way that God physically saved me like this. He delivered me from death. But I can think of ways that God intervened in my sin to get my attention and to bring me back. Maybe that's true for you as well as you look back at your life. Was there a time when God, it seems like, dramatically stepped in and brought you back from sin? Well, even if that's not true for you, what we really need to see is that we don't need to be looking for dramatic examples of what God is doing in our life because we experience God's saving grace on a daily basis. 
God is continually shepherding us. He is graciously and powerfully showing us our sin and calling us back. Or he's going ahead of us and preventing us from going deeper into sin. God's miraculous deliverance of Jonah is just one big example of what God is continually doing in each one of us. Just one final thing to notice as we think about how we experience God's grace. We see this in the life of Jonah. God's grace in our life always has a purpose. Think about Jonah. God's grace in saving him from death and working this repentance and working this greater faith in him, God's grace was meant to prepare him to preach to the Ninevites. Jonah had to experience God's grace firsthand in order to preach more faithfully to his enemies. But Jonah also had to experience God's grace firsthand in order to know the God that he was actually preaching about. That's similar for us as well. The more that we see God's grace for us, the more that we actually experience God's grace in our life, the more that we will show God's grace to others. We certainly need to talk about God's grace more, but my emphasis here is not just on the things that we say, even if they're true, but on how we actually show God's grace to one another. How does your daily experience of God's grace, free, undeserved grace, how does this affect your relationship with your spouse? How does it change how you speak to one another? how you serve one another, how you love one another? How does God's daily grace affect your relationship with your kids or with church members or with anyone else you meet? Are these relationships, are our relationships marked by humility and repentance and forgiveness because we know how much we have received from God? And not just how much we have received in the past, but how much we have received from God today, right now. But also, we need to ask about how God's grace affects us and how we interact with unbelievers. Do we pray for them? Do we pray because we know that God's grace that has changed us can change them as well? Do we speak to them about God's grace? Do we show God's grace to them? Are we patient and kind, and willing to walk alongside them as long as they need us, and as God has called us to be there. That is showing God's mercy and grace to those who are blind outside of God. Those who have turned away from Him, they need God's grace shown through us as well. God's grace to us in Christ has a purpose beyond ourselves. We are meant to show and to proclaim that grace, and not just grace, but God as the gracious God, we're meant to show and proclaim that to others. So as we close this morning, I encourage you to look beyond Jonah to Jesus Christ. We need God's grace in Jesus Christ just as much as Jonah did. And God gives us his grace because Jesus Christ has earned our salvation And he continues to apply his riches, the things that he has earned to us through the Holy Spirit. So we look at Jonah as we see ourselves and our need for God's grace and the way that God has provided for us. Let's turn to God in thankfulness and prayer, seeing 
What a great and gracious salvation we have every moment of our lives. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, we pray that this would be true. That as we see in the book of Jonah, as we see in Jonah's prayer and in Jonah's life, we have a great God. We have you. You are not just strong and powerful, but you are also gracious and merciful. You meet us in our sin to save us, to bring us to faith, but also as we continue to grow in our faithfulness to Eunice, unfortunately, we still do continue to sin against you. You meet us again and again in grace to call us back to yourself. Lord, we pray that we would see your grace to us on a daily basis. And we pray that that grace would transform us and transform how we pray for one another and take care of one another and speak to one another, proclaim the truth of your word and of your character to one another. We pray, Lord, that we would do this, that you would be active in us and through us, that you would bring glory and honor to yourself. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.